Well, welcome everybody. We're glad that you tuned in this morning. Before I jump into the message, which is the second in the series that we began last week on Restored, uh, I want to just take a moment and I want to say a great big thank you uh, to our tech team led by Misty Helms. I want to just tell all of our techs, I want to tell our worship team how much I love them and appreciate them, and I hope you do as well. Uh, During these last five weeks when we've been coming to you exclusively online, there has been a tremendous load that our techs have carried. That's our camera people, that's our production people, that's our lighting people, that's the people that make our social media possible. Uh, That's our worship teams that have continued to come here to the building and record worship sets. And I just want to say a great big thank you to them. And uh, I hope you will as well. Pray for them. uh, Because while many people have had nothing to do, they've had more to do than they've ever had to do. And I am so proud of them. I'm so proud of the content that they are producing so that we can continue to minister to them, to you. And so just Just make sure uh, that you keep them in your prayers, and when we all gather together again in a couple of weeks, make sure that you go up to our tech people, you go up to our worship team, and you just thank them profusely uh, for all the sacrifices that they have made to make sure that you can be ministered to. All right, we're going to jump into the message today, and uh, today we're going to talk about restoring your identity. You know, at one time or another, every one of us has had someone label us, or we've labeled ourselves. Because our society loves to label people. We often use labels as descriptors. We say things like, well, you're single, or you're married, or you're a Republican, or you're a Democrat, or you're an atheist, or you're a Christian. And then we even take it one step further, we even label the type of Christian that people are. Oh, you're one of those Baptists. Oh, you're a Pentecostal. Oh, you're a Catholic. And then at other times, we use labels subjectively. People often get labeled as being lazy or dumb or irresponsible. Or maybe we label someone as being fun or being a dud. Or we label people as being lazy or driven. Or how about this one? You're either hot or you're not, right? Labels can be life-giving or they can be death-producing. Labels can either be life-giving or they can be death-producing. You know, as a kid, uh, I grew up playing hockey, and my teammates gave me a label. We called them nicknames, right? And my nickname in hockey was ears. Can you imagine that? Ears. You say, well, why did they call you ears? Because my ears were so big as a kid, they stuck out of my goalie mask. Now, I hated that name. I wanted a cool nickname. I wanted a cool label uh, as a sports figure. I wanted to be like my father when he skated in the roller derby. In fact, um, here's a picture of my father In 1951, here he is right over here, and there's a blow-up picture of him. He played uh, roller derby. In that year, he was skating for the Philadelphia Panthers. And here was my dad's nickname. My dad was known as Ken Bullet Hansen. Now, that's a cool nickname, right? Bullet Hansen. And they called him Bullet Hansen because to this day, he still holds the world speed record on a 12-foot banked oval track. 
And so all these years later, I still think about this. He gets labeled bullet, and I get labeled ears. Life is so unfair, right? The problem with labels is this, that we can internalize those labels, and we can allow them to begin to shape who we become so that those labels diminish what we're actually capable of doing. I admit that there are times in my life that I still hear the labels that people placed on me when I was growing up as a kid, especially when I get really tired in life or when things aren't going well. I hear those labels, labels like outsider. Hey, kid, you don't belong here. You're from the wrong side of the tracks. Or I hear the label, you're not good enough. And I have to admit to you, there are still times when I'm having a bad day, I still see myself as that kid from the wrong side of the tracks that has to work twice as hard as anybody else just to get noticed. Of course, here's the problem with labels. They're not always accurate, and they're not always true. Remember that. In fact, most of the time, Labels are lies that the enemy uses to keep us from discovering our true God-given identity. In fact, let me illustrate this for you. I've come up with a few product labels to prove my point. Uh, What do product labels do? Product labels describe what a product is, and then they tell us what that product does, or at least what that product is supposed to do, right? So let me show you this product. This product right here claims to be 100% pure olive oil mayonnaise, all right? But the problem is you can see right over here that that claim is false. It's not 100% olive oil mayonnaise. Why? Because it says right there on the label it contains soybean oil, right? They lied. Or how about this one? I love this one. Have you ever seen these cookies? I've never seen these cookies. They're called Who Knew Nutrition Rich Cookies. Who knew? Now, if we go to the back of the label, look at what these cookies claim to do. They have as much vitamin B12 as a cup of cottage cheese and fruit, as much vitamin A as an eight-ounce glass of tomato juice, as much vitamin C as a cup of blueberries, as much fiber as a bowl of oatmeal, as much calcium and vitamin D as an eight-ounce glass of milk, as much iron as a cup of spinach, and as much vitamin E as two cups of carrot juice. Folks, if those claims are true, we should be eating these things like crazy, right? I mean, who knew? But there's a problem. That's not true. They lied. Why do they do that? Because labels lie. Labels lie. The issue of labels, and the reason I'm talking about this today, is part of a much bigger issue that every one of us has to wrestle with in our lives, and that's the issue of our identity or how we see ourselves. So I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to think about a negative label that's impacting your life right now. Maybe someone told you that you're a hothead or you're overly sensitive or that you're a cheapskate or that you're a doormat or a pushover or that you're insecure 
Or maybe they said to you, you know, you can't commit to anything. Or you have a real temper. Or you're irresponsible. Or maybe the worst of all, you're just average. I want you to take a moment right now, and I want you to write down the label that you struggle the most with. What is the label that people have put on you or you put on yourself that you struggle the most with? I have one point in this sermon today. The point is this. We have to break the labels that bind or restrict us, and we've got to discover our true God-given identity. Why? Because if we don't, we will forfeit our destiny. We'll forfeit our destiny. So today what I want to do for a few moments is we're going to look at the story of the one of the most prominent characters in all of the New Testament. In fact, he was the leader of the first group of Christ followers that assembled in the city of Jerusalem after the death of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we need to realize something. The New Testament church wasn't a building, it was a people. It was a people. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are actually no church buildings that believers met in until 339 AD when the Roman Emperor Constantine was converted and he's the one that began building churches throughout the Roman Empire. Think about that. For the first 300 years after Jesus' death, Christians met in their homes just like you're doing during this COVID virus right now. There were no church buildings because the church wasn't a building, the church was a people. So the man that I want to talk to you about today comes very close to forfeiting his destiny. Why? Because of an identity crisis. So you say, who was this man? The man was the Apostle Peter. And we can read his story in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 69. So follow along with me. Matthew 26, verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard when a servant girl came over to him and said, you were one of those who was with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, later out by the gate, yet another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. He said, I don't even know the man. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter, and they said, you must be one of them. We can tell. You have that Galilean accent. And at that point, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, it says the rooster crowed three times. And suddenly... Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind that before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you ever knew me. And Peter went away and he wept bitterly. Wow. What's the context for this scripture? Jesus has just been arrested in the garden. Jesus is being tried by Caiaphas and the high priests. 
And at the moment of Jesus' arrest, the disciples flee in all directions and they fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 13.7 when Zechariah said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It's now a few hours later after Jesus' arrest and Peter sneaks into the outer courtyard so that he can view the proceedings of Jesus' trial. And as he sneaks into the courtyard and he is standing there, hidden and undercover, he's unexpectedly confronted by several servant girls and people who are standing nearby. And he doesn't respond well. Peter, the brash, strong, proud, strapping, loudmouth fisherman, in that moment, experiences an epic failure in his life. In fact, this is one of those failures that people usually don't recover from. It was an identity-shattering moment for Peter. In that moment, Peter let himself down, but more importantly, he let Jesus down. But what made it even worse is that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, Peter had said this to Jesus. It says, and Peter declared, Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. As Peter ran away from the courtyard that night, as Peter ran away from the garden that night, I assure you that the voice of the enemy was screaming in his ear, Peter, you're a failure. You're all talk and no show. Peter, you let the master down. Peter, you're finished. Peter, you will never be what Jesus said you were going to be because you're a coward and you're a failure and you're a loser. And what Peter was having that night was an identity crisis. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all, at some point in our life, heard the enemy of our souls whisper those words in our ears. I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me over the years where the enemy has come in and he's whispered in my ear, you know, if you were a better pastor, people wouldn't leave your church. If you were more charismatic, if you were more fun, the seats of your church would be filled. Man, you really blew it. You made a big mistake now. You're finished. God can't use you anymore. He comes and whispers, you'll never have the marriage that you want. You'll never have the kids that you want. And on and on and on it goes, right? We've all been there. The labels the enemy places on us are designed to do one thing, destroy our identity. Why? Because he knows that our identity is the launching pad for our destiny. Let me say it again. Your identity is the launching pad for your destiny. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? Why did he come? Number one, to take care of our sin problem, but number two, to take care of our identity problem. You see, our identity was marred when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and Jesus came to this earth to restore our God-given identity. When I think about our culture, I understand something. 
people in our culture now more than ever are facing an identity crisis. Think about how many people in our world are not living the life that they could be living. Why? Because they believed a lie about their identity. And those lies start when we're children. They start when we're teenagers. In fact, today, I would venture to say that the most insidious attack on our children and on our teenagers is not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's the assault on their identity. The enemy is lying to them. He's lying to them about their gender. He's lying to them about their sexuality. He's lying to them about their self-worth, about their value, and about their capabilities as God's children. Identity is the number one problem in our culture today. When Peter messed up, the enemy went for the kill shot. What's the kill shot? He struck at Peter's identity. Peter, you're no good. Peter, you're finished. Peter, you're a loser. And so it's very interesting to me that after this incident, not only in the garden, but then in the courtyard, that Peter feels so badly about what's happened that Peter actually returns to his old life of fishing. This man that Jesus had prophesied such great and amazing things about had now settled for a life of fishing. Some of you, because of what's happened in your life, the mistakes you've made, the failures you've had, have given up on God's identity for your life, and you've settled for something less like Peter. Well, let me say something. There's nothing wrong with fishing. I love fishing. But fishing wasn't Peter's identity. Peter was called to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of tilapia. And so here's the question for you today. What are you supposed to be doing that you, like Peter, have forfeited because you've believed a lie about your identity? A lie that either came from the devil, a lie that came from other people, or a lie that came from yourself. What are you forfeiting today? Because you don't believe what God says about you. Maybe you feel like Peter today. Maybe you've had some bad decisions that you've made. Maybe you've had some failures in your life. We all have. Uh, maybe when you look at yourself, you said, well, you don't understand. I've been a coward, or I've lied, or I've cheated. I've broken my marriage vows. And, you know, I've let my temper and my anger get the best of me. Uh, I, I've been bound by substance abuse. I've failed. I lost a job, pastor. I lost a marriage. Gang, here's what I know. Peter had gone back to fishing. He'd gone back to his old lifestyle after his failure, but he wasn't going to stay there long. Why? Because Jesus was on the way to rescue him. So what I want to do is I want to read about the first time Jesus and Peter meet after the crucifixion. And so that text is found uh, in John chapter 21, verses 3 through 17. So this is the first time Peter has not seen Jesus since he was in that courtyard and he was viewing Jesus' trial. Peter wasn't even at the crucifixion. He was long gone by then. Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing. 
At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was because he was too far away. And so Jesus called out and says, fellows, have you caught any fish yet? No, they replied. Then he said, well, why don't you throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, who was that disciple? It was the apostle John. John said to Peter, look, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water. This is reminiscent of people, Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water, right? It says he jumped out of the water and he headed to the shore. Well, the others stayed with the boat and they pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. But when they got there, get this, how cool is this? Jesus has breakfast waiting for them. Fish is cooking over a charcoal fire. There's warm bread. And then Jesus says, guys, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter went aboard, and he dragged the net to shore. And there were 153 large fish. And yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Now, let me clarify. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to disciples, but not these disciples. It's the first time that Peter in this group is seeing Jesus since the resurrection. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter replied and said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then Jesus repeated the question again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And what I want you to see here is something amazing. That in the span of these few verses, this one encounter, Jesus is going to pull Peter out of his spiral of defeat and he's going to restore his identity. How's he going to do it? He's going to remind him of three things. And Jesus wants to do the same thing for you today. So let's talk about those things. Number one, the first thing Jesus does in this passage is Jesus restored Peter's name. You know, names were a big deal in the Old Testament. Jewish parents would actually spend a lot of time praying about what they were going to name their children because they believed that a child's name was linked to that child's identity and destiny. So, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we see Jesus change Peter's name. In other words, Peter wasn't his given name. It wasn't the name that his parents gave him. They gave him the name Simon. But in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, you will no longer be called Simon. I'm giving you a new name, Peter. And in the Greek, here's what Peter means. It means the rock. 
The Rock. Now, when most of us hear that name, The Rock, this is the person that we immediately think of. Dwayne Johnson, the Hollywood actor, the former WWE wrestler, right? In our culture, when people say The Rock, they think about this guy, Dwayne Johnson. But I want you to know that the Apostle Peter was the original Rock. That name identified what Jesus saw in Peter. The Rock was Peter's God-given identity. So while the world saw him as Simon, Jesus saw him as the Rock. Can I tell you this? The label that people in this world give you, whatever it is, doesn't matter. What matters is the name that Jesus gives you. Why? Because your identity is linked to Jesus, not this world. I want you to write that down. Write down, my identity is linked to Jesus, not this world. In fact, what does the Bible say about your identity? Jesus calls you his beloved son or daughter in 2 Corinthians 6.18. He calls us his friend in John 15.14. He calls us loved in Romans 8.35. He calls us redeemed in Romans 3.22. He calls us bold and confident in Psalm 138.3. He calls us strong in Psalm 28.7. He calls you a fearless powerhouse in 2 Timothy 1.7. He calls you free in 2 Corinthians 3.17. And he calls you a vessel of honor in 2 Timothy 2.21. He goes on to call you righteous in Romans 6, 18. He calls you chosen in Isaiah 43, 20, and he calls you mighty one in Isaiah 13, 3. You may not realize this, but there are 642 names that God calls us, our God-given names, our identity throughout the Bible. When Jesus called Peter's name, he was saying to this fallen, broken, and humiliated disciple, you're still the rock. Your destiny hasn't changed, Peter. My love for you hasn't changed. I still believe in you. All by calling out Peter's name that day. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? No wonder he jumps out of the boat into the water so that he can get to Jesus quickly. Because not only was he seeing a man alive that he thought was dead, he also realized by Jesus calling him his name, referring to him still as Peter the Rock, that he was being given another chance. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. It says, anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person with a what? New name. The old life with all of its failures and baggage is what? Gone. Jesus restored Peter's name and with it he restored his identity. So I wanna ask you a question today. What are you putting more stock in? The name that the world calls you or the name that Jesus calls you? You see, the restoration of your identity begins with the name that you choose to embrace. 
So I want to encourage you to ask this question today. It's a very simple question. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Jesus, who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't matter what label other people have placed on you. It doesn't matter what label that you have placed on yourself. What matters is the label that Jesus has given you. The second thing that Jesus restored was Peter's purpose. Peter's purpose. Now, why does the enemy attack our identity? It's very simple. Because he doesn't want us to discover and fulfill our purpose. I have a question for you today. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose or have you been duped by the enemy? Have you believed his lie about you and about your identity? You see, the enemy loves to slap false labels on us so that he can keep us from carrying out God's purposes. As long as Peter embraced the false label of loser, failure, worthless, he wasn't going to be able to carry out the purpose for which God had created him. So if you go back to John 21, verses 15, 16, and 17, Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. It's monotonous. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And every time Peter responds, yes, yes, yes. And every time Jesus says, then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep. What was the purpose of this dialogue? What was going on? Well, I can tell you this, in biblical interpretation, anytime something is repeated three times in the Bible, here's what it means. Pay attention. Jesus wanted Peter to pay attention to an important truth that he was trying to communicate to people. What was that truth? The truth was this, Peter, I am restoring your purpose. Think about it, because he had failed, Peter thought that he had literally destroyed all hope of any purpose that God had for his life. That day when he walked out of that courtyard and went back to fishing, he thought his destiny was finished. After all, how could he lead the church after he betrayed Jesus? Can you imagine applying for a position in the church and one of the descriptors of your past was betrayer? That doesn't look too good on a resume. Peter couldn't see. And so when Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep, the word sheep was a metaphor. Jesus was talking about the people, the followers that he had appeared to that were going to, go, that were going to form this fledgling thing called the church. In that moment, Jesus was telling Peter, my plan for your life hasn't changed just because you messed up. Get that in your spirit this morning. God's plan for your life hasn't changed because you messed up. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, I need you to go lead my people. I need you to be the rock. There's a lot of work to be done. And you're my man. You're my man. Jesus restored Peter's purpose. And I want you to know today, if you've made a mess of things in your life, Jesus wants to restore your purpose. His plan for your life has not changed just because you failed. 
Now, we have a choice. We can let what has happened to us destroy our life, destroy God's purpose for our life, or we can trust in Jesus and we can let him restore and redeem our purpose. But we have to believe that first of all, Jesus wants to do that, and second of all, that Jesus will do that. Because the enemy is trying to convince us that Jesus won't do it, that Jesus can't do it, that Jesus doesn't want to restore our purpose. Why? Because if the enemy can destroy your identity, you'll no longer believe in your purpose. You'll surrender that destiny just like Peter was doing, because you no longer see yourself as Jesus sees you. Peter no longer saw himself as one of the 12. He no longer saw himself as a world shaker. He saw himself as a failed disciple whose only value to the world was to catch a few tilapia. And so Peter was amazed when he heard the words, feed my sheep. He must have been thinking to himself, me? Really, Lord? Don't you realize I'm the guy that ran away and left you in your greatest hour of need? I'm the guy that betrayed you? You want me to lead your people? And that's why Jesus had to say it three times to him. You see, no matter what you've done, it hasn't changed God's plans and purposes for your life. You say, why? Because your identity is not based on what you've done. It's based on what Jesus has done. Let me say that again. Your identity, your purpose is not based on what you have done. It's based on what Jesus has done. And then finally, Jesus restored Peter's future. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says these words. He says, I know. Now, you may not know. You may not see it. But I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good, not for disaster. They are plans, get this, to restore your future and give you hope. To restore your future and give you hope. Now, when these words were written by the prophet Jeremiah, here's what's going on in Israel. Israel had messed up as bad as any nation could ever mess up. They had forgotten God. They had forsaken God. They went to worshiping foreign gods and idols. They had married foreign wives. They had broken all the commandments. They were a hot mess as a nation. And now they've been conquered by the Babylonians and they've been taken into captivity as slaves. And in that situation, while they're in captivity, while everything in their life and nation is in ruins, God says these words to them, I still have a plan for you. I still have come to restore your future. You see, what doesn't seem possible to us right now because of our situation God will make possible. Even though you think you've destroyed any hope of having a good future in your life because of your actions, because of your failures, because of your bad decisions, God says this to you today, I'm going to restore your future because of my grace and mercy. 
because of my grace and mercy. Whatever you've lost because of your actions, the actions of others, or even the COVID-19 virus, God is saying today, I can and I will restore it because I am merciful and gracious and I love you. And I have a purpose for your life. And I believe in you. But here is the one catch. You have to respond when Jesus calls your name. Did you hear me? You have to respond. That day on the shore when Jesus calls out Peter's name, Peter could have ignored Jesus. He could have pretended like he didn't hear him. He he could have run away because of his shame. Peter could have let his feelings of unworthiness and failure get the best of him. He could have said, thanks Jesus so much for the offer to lead your church, but I don't think I'm your man. You really need to go find someone else for the job. And we do that all the time. We play that game with God all the time. Oh, God, I'm unworthy. I failed too much. You better find somebody else. I'm not your man. I'm not your woman. Gang, have you embraced a false identity that is causing you to reject the offer that Jesus is making to you today to be restored? You need to think about that. Because a lot of times we ignore Jesus. We pretend we don't hear him. We push him off because of our own feelings of inadequacy. We reject him. Friends, Jesus will restore your name, your purpose, and your future. But you have to believe what he says about your identity. And you've got to stop believing what other people, what the devil, or even what you yourself are saying about your identity. Why? Because the label you choose to embrace will either bring life or death to your situation. It's either going to bring life or death to your situation, life or death to your family. In order to have a future and a hope, your identity has got to be rooted in what Jesus says about you, but the choice is yours. You can believe or not believe. And and, and the best part of this story today is that Peter chose to believe what Jesus was saying about him and not what Peter was saying about himself. And because of that, Peter's story is still being told today. And the impact of Peter's life is still being felt in our world today. What will you choose today? Will you choose to believe what the world is saying about you? Will you choose to believe what you're saying about yourself? Or will you take a step of faith and will you say, Jesus, I'm gonna believe what you're saying about my identity. Today, I want to ask you, have you been labeled by others or yourself? Are you ready to exchange that label for the one that Jesus has for you? Are you willing to start believing what Jesus says about you? The choice is yours. Peter had a choice. You have a choice.
You see, this world wants to squeeze us into its mold. It wants to label you. Don't let the world label you. Run to Jesus. Embrace the identity that he has for your life. He wants to restore your true identity. Doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much you've failed. You are not what other people are saying about you. You are what God says about you. And so I want to pray for you right now. Earlier in this message, I asked you to write down, what is the label that you're struggling with? Right now, I want you to take that piece of paper or wherever you've written it down, and I want you to hold it in your hand, and I want you to say, Jesus, this is not me. Today, I choose to believe who you say I am. Restore me. Restore my purpose. Restore my name. Restore my future. I believe that you can do it and that you want to do it, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now for every person listening to this message, for every person that's struggling with their identity, struggling with failure, struggling with shame, struggling with feelings of unworthiness because of the decisions they've made and the things that have happened in their life. And Lord, I pray that you would bring faith into their lives right now. God, I pray that they would rise up and they would believe who you say they are. I pray that you would encourage them today that you know how to lift us up out of the muck and the mire and set our feet on solid ground. You know how to restore our lives. And it starts with how we see ourselves. Jesus, I just pray, and I just bless those that are watching today in your name. And then before we end, I just want to say this. Maybe you're watching this broadcast today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You haven't even taken the first step. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus asked Peter a question. It's the reverse question that I had you ask Jesus a moment ago. Jesus' question to Peter was this, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, well, of course, you're the son of the living God. Peter recognized who Jesus was. That's why he followed him. That's why Peter would end up many, many, many decades later as a martyr, giving his life to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, being crucified on a cross upside down in the ground because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord. Why did he do that? Because he realized that Jesus, Jesus was the one sent from God to die for his sins. Can I ask you this? Do you know Jesus as your redeemer today? Do you know him as your deliverer? Do you know him as your savior? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? Because that's why he came. He came, he paid the price on the cross. He took your place, he took my place. He paid the debt that we owed because we couldn't pay it so that we could spend eternity in heaven. So that we can have a different quality of life right here on earth. And I wanna invite you right now if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, 
You can do that wherever you are right now. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want a relationship with you. There's no magic prayer. There's just you meaning it in your heart and expressing that however you want to Jesus. But just saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm at the end of my rope. I need you. And if you do that, then that verse that was up on the screen earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, has just taken place in your life. Jesus said, behold, all things become new. I'm giving you a new name. I'm wiping the slate clean. You've become a new creation in me. I encourage you, if you did that, to do one of two things. Either right now in the chat box, either our Facebook or live stream page, just type in the word new. Type in the word new. If you prayed that prayer, if if you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, just type in the word new, and we'll know what that means. Or you can also text what's on the screen right now and the word that's on the screen right now to us, and we want to get you some literature. We have a book that we love to give to you that'll tell you how to develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. What are the next steps that you should take? So text the number on the screen or put in the comment line the word new and we'll make sure that we connect with you. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm praying that you're staying safe, uh, that God will just encourage you during this time, uh, and we will see you next week. God bless you.